Welcome to the Fierce Soul Podcast, for living fiercely in every area of your life, from fierce love, fierce joy, fierce passion to fierce play. I'm your host, Jordan Ray, and I chat with inspirational individuals and thought leaders in free-flowing, unfiltered conversation, with a focus on self-love, soulful living, emotional well-being, creative expression, and body wisdom, intended to empower you to love yourself fiercely, Live soulfully, aligned, and authentically. Welcome back. And this week I am joined by the awesome Erin Meadows. And before I introduce her properly, hi Erin. Hello. Erin um, and I actually connected. We've never met in real life, but we connected on a virtual coaching weekend or two coaching virtual coaching weekends even this year and last year and Erin didn't know until this year that she actually gave me one of my aha moments and it was something she said as part of the virtual group that made me sit back and have a light bulb moment so I am so pleased that she's agreed to come and join me Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So Erin, I know you are a coach who helps women get more of what they want in their lives and careers. Mm -hmm. I will let you take that forward to what that exactly means. Yes. Well, I, I want women to do more of what they want to do and less of what the world has told them they should want to do. And so I talk about all kinds of things. I'm incredibly passionate about helping women in leadership, female entrepreneurs. I also talk a lot about confidence, body image, especially because that's so much of my own personal journey. And I just love to support women in discovering what it is that they really want then gaining the confidence and courage to go for it. And then I love to be there side by side, knee to knee with them as they're on that journey to go from kind of like a life of it's good enough to, hey, this is an absolutely amazing life. It's the life I've chosen for myself. It's the career I've chosen for myself. And that's so amazing. I think that it can feel like a subtle difference sometimes between the, I have this life and it's it's good enough to actually, this is what this elevated life can look like. Yes. Yeah. It's really easy to just kind of get, get stuck in that good enough because it is good enough, right? I mean, it's good enough. And when we have these glimmering moments of, Ooh, but what would it feel like if blank? And I love to help people explore if blank. Yeah. And the fact you've just said, what would it feel like? I mm-hmm. think even in conversations with my friends, quite often it's about, oh, if I go and do this course or if I got this job or and it's those tangible goals mm-hmm. rather than actually what would make me feel so amazing and lit up absolutely and that's my journey you know I went I went straight from high school to college I got on kind of the ladder I climbed it I got to the top rung of what I did professionally and it was great it was a great ride but the next step for me wasn't appealing. And all of a sudden I realized like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm passionate about so many other things. I don't want to do this for another 20 years. Uh, And so I had to really unwind everything and establish what I actually want my life and career to look like. We're now in a period where that's much more acceptable. This Mm -hmm. career changing or chameleon 
type reinventing yourself whatever you want to call it whereas for previous generations I mean certainly in the UK mm-hmm. and probably parts of the US as well mm-hmm. you know there was this job for life mentality and you did just go up the ladder and if you got there and said well I don't feel it people would look at you and kind of question you and it's like you've got this amazing job and it's amazing money and why are you suddenly giving it all up to become a photographer or an artist or all these things Mm -hmm. that light people up yeah yeah it's it's definitely I, I even know when I started you know there was still the mentality of you have to stay in a job a certain number of years once you commit to something you've got to stay in it you've got to see it through you know people won't want to work with you if you move around too much and you know I always say my first career I loved it I, I worked in marketing and public relations I absolutely adored it I really really enjoyed it for 20 years I didn't see another 20 years of doing that and I didn't want to be a CEO of a of a big company or of a big nonprofit what I wanted to do was one-on-one help people, small groups help people. And it's why I loved leadership so much. So, and it, I think it takes a certain amount of courage to say this was great or this was not great, but I'm going to do something different in work or life. Yeah. I think it takes a huge amount of courage to, yeah. <laughs> to say that and step away and yeah. step into I was going to say something different, but I think that what we all underestimate so often is the transferable skills that we create, that actually we're not leaving what we did behind. Yes, you're leaving behind the title Mm. and possibly what other people see as the audaciousness of it. I have no idea where that word came from. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But actually you're not leaving the skills behind. You have all of that skill set, like you Mm -hmm. said, you know, 20 years or actually applying it to parents who go back to work. There's a skill set in everything that they have been doing for all of those years where they might be parenting, their organizational skills and timekeeping and all of these things that we do, we can take with us wherever we go. Yes. And I think part of it is honoring what's in alignment for you And realizing that what was in alignment for you 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago might have been perfect then, it doesn't mean it's in alignment today. And so I always tell people, when you're making a big shift in life, it doesn't mean that you have to leave with kind of like disdain what you had. It's okay to say, I loved that, but it's not for me anymore. It's, you know, that that job, that relationship, it was beautiful, but it's not for me anymore. My own relationship with myself, it kept me safe. It served me, it protected me, whatever, but it's not who I want to be moving forward. We don't have to look at it as if I'm letting go of this terrible thing. It can be like, this was beautiful, but for the next chapter, I want it to look different. And I think that's part of my journey in so many ways is I've had a lovely life. The next chapter, I want it to look different. I want to be more intentional about that. Hearing you talk reminded me actually of part of my journey, which was when I went and qualified as a social worker, I never wanted to be a social worker, (laughs) which sounds a bit contradictory. But there were jobs that were in the third sector, charity sector, where you needed the qualification. So I was like, okay, go back, qualify. Well, we had cuts during that time, government cuts. And so I came out of my training and all of those jobs are gone. And I was like, okay, well, what do I do now? There are other jobs that I like. They're therapeutic. They're creative the way that I want to work. But I need two years child protection experience, which means going into local authority. Not my first choice, but let's go and do it. Did my two years local authority. We had more cuts. 
you know, even in our generation, that you know, technology allows us to be able to do this. Yeah, absolutely. And all the changes and, and all the speed of the changes. When we look at some of those changes, I mean, we only have to look at the moment of Twitter and Google and mm-hmm. the speed that they're laying people off. Yeah actually it used to be you were loyal to the company and the company was loyal to you that was the job for life was was two-sided but now it's not that situation there is very little I'm choosing my words carefully there are some amazing organizations out there yeah but compared to I think where it was much more community-based working you know your dad worked in the company you worked in the company Mm. there's much less loyalty to employees you're replaceable yeah and you can give those like you said you could give those next 20 years to that company or plan to give those 20 Mm -hmm. years to the company and 10 years later the company might get rid of you anyway right Right. That's why, you know, I, and I don't, I don't push entrepreneurship on people because I do think a lot of people step into entrepreneurship, not realizing what it really takes. But I tell people when people say, well, isn't that risky? You know, you don't have a regular paycheck guaranteed. You don't have benefits guaranteed. You don't, but working in a company isn't quite as safe as we think because of that, because at any point they could lay you off. I mean, we're seeing it all over the tech industry. We're seeing it everywhere. And so it's a false sense of safety. And so anyone who says to me like, wow, that's so risky. I'm thinking it is risky, but also so is depending on someone else for money. And I think one of the greatest things, especially women can do is learn how to make money from scratch on their own. Like if you can figure out anything, a side hustle, a full-time, if you just can prove to yourself that if everything fell apart, you could go make some money on your own, create something, sell something, offer a service. That is so empowering. When I realized that I could walk away from a full-time job, build a business and support myself, like the whole world, like better watch out when I found that out, right? It was like, you aren't telling me nothing anymore. <laughs> I know how to make my own money now. And and it's not for everyone, but boy, it's empowering. Well, and the one thing that I never really, I don't even think I knew about, and I certainly never got my head around, even if I did, until I stepped into mm-hmm. entrepreneurship, was having these multiple streams of income and having passive income streams and I think they're much more connected to the entrepreneur because obviously of keeping the money coming in but actually at least having that knowledge Mm -hmm. even as an employee to have that available Mm -hmm. as a woman to be able to think actually I do have something if if it goes wrong or I just want some extra money you know that yeah I was going to say that pocket money but that that money to go and do something for you Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to just know that to just know that you, hey, you know, I can, I can make these bracelets and go sell them. People love them. And I can do that and it's something I enjoy. And I can, I can either keep it as a hobby, or I could probably make money doing it. And, um, and it's just, you know, it is one of my kind of passions. I just love watching people realize that they can actually go out and make money. And it's how I started my first business. I literally took my skill set that I was using in somebody else's business, propped up an LLC and said, great, now I'm going to do all of these things, but for clients instead of one company. And I went out to my network and that's how I started my first business was just to say like, I could do this on my own. (laughs) I could do it for myself. Yeah. 
I love that. Yeah. I, love that. yeah. I didn't start anything new. I was like, great. I'm going to go do marketing and PR on my own for multiple companies. And that's what I did. So we've got you starting with your marketing PR. Yep. Now into your coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know we were talking very briefly before we jumped on about actually what that does look like. I was just curious what your journey to getting mm-hmm. your confidence and stepping out as a coach has been like. Yeah, that's I love this question. And I think and I wish more more people in the coaching industry would ask this question and talk about their journeys, because I think it's very easy to look at any any online entrepreneurship it's very easy to look online and think like it's easy for everyone and I'm the only one who's struggling. And, and so here I will give you my journey, my marketing consulting business. I, I booked over six figures in about the first 90 days. It was gangbusters real fast. I basically sent a few emails out and business came to me and I thought that's what was going to happen with coaching. <laughs> I thought I was just going to make a few phone calls and everyone would come running at me. And that's actually not what happened. I definitely ha- got business in my first year as a coach. Um, when I went full-time coaching and pulled away from all the marketing consulting, it was right before the pandemic started. So I will tell you that my first year as a coach, I I really wallowed in a lot of self-pity. I really made it way harder on myself. And what I tell people is I focused on all the things I thought I needed to focus on, a logo, a brand, a website, um, trying to get clients. And I really didn't focus on my inner world. I really didn't focus on like, like how scared I was, how frustrated I was, how disappointed I was that it wasn't going the way that I thought it would. And so my first year was a big challenge for me, although I did make money. Um, and I am wrapping up year three as a full-time coach. And I'd love to be transparent about this. Like this is my first full six-figure year. Like I've, I came close last year, but you know, I think in the coaching industry, um, people kind of, some people think it's a, a, it's like a fast way to like replace your full-time income. And that's not always the truth for some people it is. I say all of that just to say, in hindsight, I'm kind of glad this was a slow burn for me. I'm kind of glad this didn't go super quick because I, like the rest of the world, was processing a pandemic. I, like the rest of the world, was processing the the shit show that became society. And especially here in the United States, we just started seeing just just terrible things happening in our communities, especially to people of color and marginalized groups more and more than ever. I, like so many other people, was processing a lot. So I needed that first year to work through a lot of my stuff. And then moving into that second year felt like like freedom, like, okay, I know who I am as a coach. I know who I am even more as a human. I know what I stand for and what's what's okay with me, what's not okay. And then as I moved into this last year, it really was just kind of that year of settling in and really realizing like, I, I am a thought leader in this industry. I am someone that people turn to. I do say things that resonate with people. And so I'm kind of glad I had a little bit of a slower burn because I haven't been a coach for 20 years like I was a market a marketer for 20 years. And I haven't been doing this that long. So it was easy for me to scale up a marketing business. This has actually given me time to grow as a human and a coach. And I'm actually really thankful for that. Yeah. I think it's that bit that is actually so important 
for us to own, as you said, be transparent about, not just for other entrepreneurs, but actually for our clients. Yeah. That we all have the skills that we're offering. We all have our own passions and our own expertise. Mm-hmm. But I think also being transparent about our journeys mm-hmm. and saying it hasn't always come easy and I've had to go back and do work on myself and then we've all had to manage the pandemic in different Mm -hmm. ways and the fallout and obviously at the moment the UK has got a lot of uh, financial pressure as a whole country so I think having that transparency supports our clients and helps us support our clients at even a higher level. Mm -hmm. Yeah I mean you know it it, at the end of the day, coaches are human, therapists are human, you know, doctors are human, our clients are human. We're all, I, and I, this is actually when I coach in corporate environments, the tagline that I use is human first, employee second. And I really believe this. We are hu- We are humans before we are we before we are partners, before we are parents, before we are uh, children of someone, before we are employees, before we are entrepreneurs, we're humans. And we have to tend to our humanness. And I didn't realize this, but now it's in my business plan. I have to tend to the human being that is me before I can support my clients. Because if I'm not okay, there's no way I'm going to help them be okay. There's just no way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That for me was a massive lesson coming from social care and, and health services that actually very few places do that. So you're in a culture that is there to work with people Mm -hmm. using your, your, analogy with other humans and support them and actually the support as employees it definitely wasn't human first employee second I just think how off balance we've got Mm -hmm. that coming back to that work for life that actually if people were valued and cared for and looked out for and not treated as a position, but treated as that human. Mm-hmm. Actually, people might well be staying. People might well be looking at the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you do see it in some of these really great organizations. And I think there's a fine line. I'm, I'm really, I get very, um, I have strong feelings about leaders that say we're family. We're not family in workplace. Unless you work in a family owned business, we're not family because family doesn't fire each other because a quarter, one quarter was bad, right? That we didn't make enough money. I'm very cautious about that. When I was leading teams, I was very cautious. We can say we're, we're tight knit. We're connected. You know, we enjoy each other inside of the office and outside all those things, but we're actually not family. We don't have to go to that extreme. What we need to do in all circumstances is just acknowledge our humanness because we can't drop our human at the door at nine o'clock and pick it up at 5 p.m. We can't, I can't drop my human when I step into my office to coach. I'm still a human. What was happening in my living room 20 minutes before I got on here is going to show up, right? It's in my body. It's in me. If I was having a good day, if I was, if I had an argument with my partner, if I got bad news, it's in me. It's not going anywhere. And my big thing is, let's just, let's stop pretending that that we're robots. Let's just acknowledge we're humans. Humans are messy. Humans have ups and downs. Nobody's getting it right. Nobody's perfect. Nobody, I tell everyone, it's not like the rest of the world got the manual and you're the only one who didn't. Everyone's trying to figure it out. And let's just accept that of each other. Let's just accept that and work through it versus 
whether it's in work or in relationships, pretending like, oh, no, we can't, all that, that's human, that's too much. We can't, I can't see you're human. That's too much for me. I don't want to see you being vulnerable. That's too much for me. Yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking of some of the best managers that I've had and one stood out where they were vulnerable enough to come and say if they'd had a bad day and it had been very apparent, (laughs) Uh they were vulnerable enough to come and say the next day, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, shouldn't have spoken to you like that. Let's look at it together. Whatever that was, instead of the demand that you had the day before, Mm. where the value and the respect just didn't feel like it was there, that they would reflect on it and come back in the next day. And that's that's huge. Mm -hmm. And in my experience of work, actually really underestimated from above them, mm-hmm. because above is all about targets, above's all about what's happening, above's all about, you know, are we ticking all these boxes? It's not about how are you making your team feel? How are you making the employees feel? Which comes back to what you were saying at the very beginning, yeah. you know, how do you want to feel? Actually, do you want yeah. to go into work every day and not know what you're going to get? Or do you want to go into to work every day and feel lit up and feel valued and feel that, yes, okay, your boss might have a bad day, but you know that they'll own that? Yes, 100%. And, you know, the truth is when we're vulnerable with one another, if I'm vulnerable in front of you, It is a full-blown permission slip for you to embrace your own humanity. It is the greatest gift we can give to each other. When we allow each other, when I I shed a tear, when I cry in front of someone, it gives whether they ever cry in front of me doesn't matter. It it gives them a permission slip that, oh, like, well, I admire Erin and she wasn't, she didn't feel shame that she cried over something that made her sad. It gives you a permission slip. And in, you know, in workplace settings, we we really, and I always tell people, it doesn't, if you hire me to come in and give a speech or to work with your staff, we can call it whatever we want to call it. But ultimately what I'm going to teach them is how to be human with each other. We can call it time management. We can call it the power of influence. We can call it how to be a good manager. Ultimately, they're going to learn how to be more human with each other because we're, we are, we are human. We can't escape that. We just can't. <laughs> We've tried. It doesn't work. Exactly. And it really is breaking those barriers down and breaking all those old paradigms and all those old thoughts down. And like you said, it doesn't work. It breaks people. It breaks humans. It doesn't build them up. No. Yeah, you're right. When you have, and I know we're talking a lot about the context of work, but when you have someone who is constantly afraid coming into work every day, they're afraid to make a mistake. They're afraid to be vulnerable. They're afraid to speak their truth. They're in constant fear of getting in trouble, losing their job when they are working from that place. And a lot of companies tighten the reins in on people because they want to bang out that productivity. What's actually happening is you're keeping your staff in a constant state of fight or flight and they can't be productive. They can't access their higher level thinking. They certainly will never be innovative for you. They will never come up with the next big idea because they are just going to do the smallest amount of things they can do to stay safe. And so it's everything we've been doing for years and years and years to bang out productivity is, like you said, it's breaking people down and it is costing companies money and it's costing people their mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual health. It's a crisis. And if you're going into work or someone's going into work that way, that's going to be more than just leaking through 
at home and in your personal life, it's going to be pouring out in every possible direction. So the impact then on relationships and their ability to think creatively and innovatively, I can say it, um, at home and all of those other things will just go because they're in that fight or flight. Mm. It's affecting them. Yeah. Yeah. And then it just ripples out. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it happens to me. I I live with anxiety and I always tell people when I'm, when I'm truly having an anxiety attack, I can't use my mindset coaching tools on myself. I can't access that. (laughs) My body's just trying to stay alive at that point. It's trying to figure out like, is there a lion in the room that's going to come kill me? Like what's happening here? And you don't have to have diagnosed anxiety to experience that. We experience that at all different levels. And so I think people, and and I I would go so far as to say that one of the biggest things organizations should be doing now is doubling down and investing on their employees' nervous systems. Well, this is definitely the direction that we're going, isn't it? Is now we've got that understanding that it's not just mindset, it's not just brain, that it is this brain-body connection with the nervous system. And it's also that understanding that when someone hits that fight flight, the analytical, the language center, that neocortex is offline. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to talk to somebody, but from a place that's making them feel Mm -hmm. anxious, where they feel scared, they're they're not registering it. And so trying to ask for a logical response, trying to ask for a sensible answer Mm. isn't going to happen because they're not able to provide it, which then just ends up in this cycle of potentially being thought of as not understanding or not giving the feedback that's required or however Mm. it's being interpreted rather than stepping back and going actually we might have been the cause of part of that Mm -hmm. right right like if this person is genuinely fearful in front of me they don't know what's about to happen I used to always say whenever I whenever I start a difficult conversation with someone I really want to plant the seed unless I'm about to like actually fire someone then I don't do this but if 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 the if I think the conversation should end well, then I tell the person like, "Hey, this is going to be an uncomfortable conversation, probably for both of us. But I my intent is that it's going to end well. You're not in trouble, but we need to talk about blank, or we because then it's kind of a chance, you know. And we I let them opt into it, and I use this in my personal life too because. If I need to address something, I want the person to know I'm not here to do collateral damage to our relationship, but we do need to talk about the difficult stuff. And I I probably do that because I'm someone whose nervous system can easily kick on and kind of fire, fire up really quickly. And I wish more people would do that to me because the minute I sense danger in a conversation, my mind can't hear what's being said to me. Like you said, my mind is like, What's my rebuttal? How am I going to survive this? What am I going to do to get through this? I, I can't be present. I wish more people did that. Yeah. And you've just said that key word, present. Yeah, present. Just the to be present. minute you're there, you're mm-hmm. not present. Yeah. As you've said, you're you're thinking what might be being said, what might be coming up, how you're going to manage, all those other questions. And yeah. just shielding, just putting my little shield up to stay safe. Yeah. And that's and normal. That's human. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's the learning that it's the, again, particularly as women. Mm -hmm. So I 
like to think of myself as quite a strong woman. I've worked with a lot of angry men. They generally don't intimidate me. Actually, I kind of would front up to it quite a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm very open about the fact that, you know, I am 5'11", so mm-hmm. I'm not a small woman either. 5'10". <laughs> there yes. we go. Well, we know body, <laughs> we know we're gonna get talking about the body in a bit. So I know. <laughs> and all of that brought to mind that when I used to house share and I house shared with a couple and she was lovely and knew how to say things. He less so. And I remember he was the one that came to say that they would like me to move out. Theoretically, not a problem. Yeah. But this was knock on my door, 10 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning, no warning, no preparation for this and standing this far from me. Mm. in quite an aggressive way and everything you're saying it's like actually the fact he's there was as fine as it could be I mean it Mm -hmm. wasn't okay let's get this right it was not okay yeah but for a lot of other people that would have been horrendous Mm -hmm. and again with everything you're saying no preparation no nothing Mm. and I think as women so often the afterthought is well what did we do what could we have done different right you know, what is it about us? Mm-hmm. All of those questions where actually it's nothing about us. It's our nervous system. It's a yeah. natural response that everybody has, male, female, young, old. It takes the front of our brain, that frontal lobe offline. There's yeah. nothing we can do about it. Yeah. You said yeah. it stops us being present. Mm-hmm. And for everybody to learn that and understand that, whether it's in relationships, whether it's work, whether it's just interaction in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just um, every, everyone has a nervous system, right? So every one of us has a nervous system. Every one of us deals with this to some level. Some people are more predisposed to certain things triggering anxiety or triggering different types of responses. Um, but, you know, it's a safe bet to believe that most people that you encounter in your day to day have have lived through some level of trauma, right? Like some level of trauma, something that was overwhelming to them when it shouldn't have been something, some level. If we just could move through our, we don't need to know everyone's personal business, but I just moved through my life assuming that I need to be tender with people and I can still make a point. I can still stand up for myself and look, I'm not perfect. There are times that I yell. There are times that I pop off. There are times that just the other day I said something, I wasn't super nasty or mean, but I said something and immediately went to the person and said that came out really harsh. I am so sorry. She was knocking on my door to rep her political candidate who is not mine. (laughs) And I was like, oh no. (laughs) And I thought, you know what? Like this is a young woman who's trying to get the vote out here in my state we're a critical state. I live in the state of Georgia. We're a critical state in our elections here. And I went out in in my yard and grabbed her and said, Hey, that was a really like quick, harsh response. I'm not mad at you at all. He's just not my guy. Like, but I commend you. You're asking people to vote. Good for you. Like, I'm not, I don't, I don't always nail it. I mean, the minute that door closed, I was like, Oh, what a, you were a dick. Like, (laughs) no, (laughs) you could have just said, no, thanks. (laughs) So yeah. But you owned it. You reflected yeah, on it, owned it, and went that. and repaired it. Yeah, I, want, I didn't want her having that stinky energy of mine all over her. I wanted to clear that off of her, let her live her life. Yeah. Well, she didn't do anything wrong. It's perfectly legal to knock on the door here and hand a flyer out for your candidate. And yeah, she wasn't doing anything wrong. She just wasn't repping, she wasn't repping the right candidate. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And I think that's the bit, even in our 
everyday lives, just stepping away from the, from the work stuff. But if everybody was a little bit more aware, it's got to start with the awareness. Yeah. A little bit more compassionate, a mm-hmm. little bit kinder, just yeah. even those with that 1%, like if everybody made that 1% shift, yeah, how different every, yeah. everything could be. And you don't lose anything. It doesn't, I don't lose when I'm kind. I don't lose when I'm vulnerable. I don't lose when I show up with curiosity versus judgment. I don't lose anything. It's not like somebody's going to get a one up on me. In fact, In my experience, I gain when I show up with curiosity versus judgment. I gain when I'm vulnerable with people. It has only benefited me. It has not consistently caused any harm to me. I don't lose. So yeah, so it's just an awareness. And I believe that that's actually a skill we could all learn. I think we could all learn it. It's not too late. So many of these skills that would be amazing to learn when we were younger Yes. And grow up with. But I did like what you said about you don't lose by doing it, that this isn't a competition. It's not about that. Somebody wins and someone loses. Actually, the ideal for everything is everyone ends up as close to a win-win as possible. I know it's not always possible. It can feel, if somebody leaves a conversation or an interaction with me, feeling as good as they possibly can, even Mm. in, as you said, sometimes there's difficult conversations to have. Mm-hmm. But if they can feel as good as they possibly can leaving that interaction, mm-hmm. then I've done the best that I can. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we're going to have to have difficult conversations. We're going to have to make decisions. There's going to be people we have to cut out of our lives. I'm a big believer in let's try not to do collateral damage in that. Like, we can leave people with their dignity. We can leave people and still leave them with their dignity. Yeah. I can fire an employee and leave them with their dignity right? I can end a relationship and leave them with their dignity. And again, I'm not always perfect, but it is kind of the goal for me is to leave people better than I found them, even if I'm having to leave them behind for some reason. So on that note, I am going to take the opportunity to shift us a little bit, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Because one thing that we have to celebrate for you is you have recently certified as a bear coach. Yes, I have. I'm so excited. Yes, I just, uh, I have it right behind me. The third guy haven't hung it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm really excited about that and and having that certification to support the work I'm I'm already doing with women is really um, special. Yeah. I know what it is, but Uh do you want to share with everyone else what the BEG certification is and what it means for supporting your clients? Yes. So uh, the bear certification is a certification that um, I, the way I describe it is it helps women come home to their bodies. It helps women who want to break up with diet culture and the diet, the multi-billion dollar diet industry that banks on women not liking their bodies. And there is a, is a process that coaches can use to help women um, come back home to themselves and and feel more neutral and, and even more body positive. And it was created by Susan Hyatt, who's a coach we both know and have worked with. It's actually, we met each other through Susan. Yeah. Um, and she wrote a book called Bear. And then that that book really transformed a lot of lives. So she created a coaching certification around it. So I went through the the program, got a bunch of coaching hours in. And it, and it it's a natural fit because I think we tend to, we attract what we have worked on or are working on. And part of my soul's masterclass in this lifetime is body image work. It will, it will 
it's never going to go away for me. It's always going to be a part of my everyday work that I have to do. And therefore, almost, I would say at least 90% of my clients at one point or another want to work on body image with me. And it impacts people in every area of their lives, their personal lives, their professional lives, the way you feel in your body. It's so important. So yeah, so I'm really excited about that and excited to add some offerings around that in the coming year. Yeah. And as you you mentioned, you know, 510, 511, we're, we're not short women. We don't necessarily blend in in that sense. Yeah. And yeah. body acceptance has also definitely been part of my journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of that has been my height, being able to get the clothes, feel good about myself alongside weight alongside all of the other things and yes mine's certainly not a done and dusted journey but I think the conversation and I know that this is part of the process is so much bigger than that it's Mm -hmm. understanding that how we look at ourselves has so many layers to it from Mm -hmm. society from history definitely patriarchy Mm -hmm. Um, I looked at a newspaper headline yesterday and it was whoever the celeb was braless in this and I'm like why why does it even matter right right. yeah why is it that women's headlines celebrity headlines mention how they look how they dress men's headlines don't they don't do that they don't do that well you know I'm a big believer that there are systems in place that want to keep women distracted and busy and one of the best ways to do that is by constantly telling them that they're not in fashion they're not in style and their bodies are wrong because when they keep us distracted and busy trying to shrink our bodies or trying to get our butts bigger and then shrink them back down and keeping our clothes up to date and keeping our hair makeup when we're distracted doing that we can't rise up and run for office start and run businesses get our fair share of the wealth that's out in the world. They just, it keeps us distracted. And we've seen this kind of activity all through history with women. It's just, we're very powerful. (laughs) We are. And it's a great way for people in power to keep themselves in power is to keep women very distracted. Yeah. And I always tell people when you, you have to, you have to realize that the diet industry And I say this as a woman who's been on every diet, all the diets, multiple times. I want people to realize that they literally sit in board conference rooms and strategize on what they need to show women and say to women and teach women to make them hate themselves enough to throw money after money after money at them. I want people to realize that. I'm not saying don't ever diet. That's a, that's a person's individual choice. But what I'm saying is you're written your self-hate is written into a business plan. It's written into a multi-billion dollar company's business plan. They're banking on you hating yourself. They are banking on you now after years of being told it's okay to have a big butt. Now they're telling us it's not, right? Now they're saying you've got to be real thin again. They're banking on that. Just go into it with your eyes wide open, you know? Well, that waif-like figure was the figure that was around when I was in my teens. Yeah. Probably the same for you. Mm -hmm. And that's not me. I have curves. Mm -hmm. Always have had, whether I've been slimmer or not. The curves have always there. And I've always said, if I'd had the J-Lo, the Beyonce role models when I was younger, mm. I would hope that I would have not beaten myself up as much. Yeah. Because potentially the clothes would have fitted. Mm-hmm. Other things would have been 
there and actually you'd have had the role models I I remember going in and buying a plus size Mm -hmm. pair of trousers in a well-known high street store over here but the legs were like this yeah and my legs aren't like that and yeah Yeah. (laughs) so straight away I don't fit those clothes so it's like well I don't fit that so my body isn't enough And with everything else going on with my teenage mind, which wasn't just about my body, Mm. it became that that story was I'm not enough. That was the baseline for everything. Right. Whereas with a JLo Beyonce role model and clothes cut for that size, I'm very aware that I would have fitted and actually some of my friends wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they'd have had an alternate story. Mm. And it is understanding that, but it's also understanding what we get and what we're shown and all the tabloid. And mm-hmm. now with social media, the influences where it's taken from that angle and it's the 200th picture and it, it really is looking behind everything and understanding mm-hmm. that what you see, whether it's from the diet industry who are, like you said, multi-million, multi-billion, mm-hmm. they want women to diet they want women to stay on diets because the minute that we all stop or their industries would collapse (laughs) like if every woman decided tomorrow was the last day they ever dieted like we would have major money issues right (laughs) they're counting on it well i know i shared with you one of the most empowering things and i will say empowering but also requiring deep work is I'm actually in a process of getting professional photos taken of myself every quarter. And one of the reasons I did that is even doing all the work that I do and even being someone who really wants women to kind of go through this journey of coming back home to their bodies, I still have my own struggles. And one of the things I realized when I was doing all my marketing materials is I wasn't showing my full body very much. And some of that had to do with like, just, you know, there's only so much you can do on your own with a selfie. Um, But I also dug really deep and realized that I actually had a thought that if my, if my potential clients saw that I was plus size, that they wouldn't want to work with me. Like if they saw this arm jiggle, if they saw that I have hips and a butt and thighs that they would go, well, how can she help me? She can't even lose weight. And it was a thought I had to contend with because what it was, was it was still saying, Erin, you're not worthy. You're not good enough. And what I actually found was when I started showing more of myself, more people came to me because, and I believe this so much, people don't, aren't looking for you to be perfect. They're just looking for help. They're just looking for support. And so even as a coach, so much of my journey has been reconciling a lot of my own body image issues, a lot of my own path to confidence. I'm a very confident person in a lot of areas, but I've had to reconcile the few areas where there's still work to be done. And so I'm a big believer in if you want to work on something, go all the way in, throw yourself into it and really work on it. Um, But it's huge. I have a great tool that I use with clients talking about the origins of your, the thoughts that you have about your body. And it's really simple. Uh, You just on one side, write every thought, rule or belief you have about your body. And then you draw a line to where you learned it. Did you learn it from your parents or your family of origin? Did you learn it from media, social media, society, a teacher, and like really realizing most of our thoughts we have did not, they're not original. We didn't create them. Someone gave them to us. And you can, you can actually unsubscribe from them if you want to. You can decide, hey, my third grade teacher made me feel some kind of way about my body. 
I'm going to unsubscribe from that thought. I'm going to do the work to let that go. Because if, if she did that to me today, I would be like, I'm not listening to her. Her opinion doesn't matter. It's, it's important to kind of consider where there are all the thoughts are coming from. It's huge to consider where all of those thoughts are coming from. I think, yeah. you know, yeah. for anyone that works with me or has heard previous podcasts, I always talk about that looking back to look forward mm-hmm. because that's where our beliefs are formed. That's where those thoughts are coming from. And actually very, very rarely are those thoughts directly about our body. Yeah. So you've mentioned the worthiness. Yeah. Yes. And and again, that's definitely my my journey as I started to put my weight on. It wasn't a new story. It was an old story coming up in a new form. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I have another way of being unworthy. Mm-hmm. Although I didn't realize that at the time. Obviously, this is all my inner work. Right. It was just a new way. So it's it's another layer then to work on and start to think, no, actually, yeah, I am okay as I am. And it is okay to be seen as I am. And and I know that was exactly what you said. 100%. Because now what I know is people need to see me. They need to see me. Just like you said, if you had seen a Beyonce or a JLo body, if that had been more a part of your every day. So people need to see me. My nieces and nephews need to see me. People need to see me out here unapologetically being myself. It doesn't mean that I don't have health goals. I do. I have health goals. I have things that I want to work on. I'm getting a physical on Friday. I'm sure I'll come out of that with a few more health goals. It doesn't mean that I'm not working to improve certain things. What it means is that I can say, look, here's my body as it is today. I'm proud of it. It's doing a million things right now at this moment to keep me upright and talking to you. It has served me and protected me so beautifully through my life. People need to see that. They need to. Yeah. And we need to see it. You talked Mm -hmm. about, you know, getting your professional photographs. And one thing I did a few years ago was I took myself on a boudoir shoot. And at the very beginning, she, so it was a, Mm -hmm. it was a couple, female assistant. I mean, she obviously Mm -hmm. wasn't, she was very Mm -hmm. involved. Um, And he would step out the room one you were getting into position and there was a robe for you to put on in between all the shots mm-hmm. I think I lasted two shots before I gave up putting the robe on every single time I, I moved I was like this, I can't be bothered with this anymore yeah. <laughs> and the difference I cannot explain that before that point there was no way that friends would have seen me in that outfit Mm-hmm. and so to get from there within two shots to the point where I'm just like oh, I don't need the rope I'm not putting right. that on like right. you've already seen me yeah. so whether I'm let down and it's a really lovely photo or whether I'm stood up it's the same person it's the same body mm, I love that and the energy of leaving there was amazing and to have all the photographs to then mm-hmm. look back on and they're not smutty they're not sexual they are really lovely photos Mm -hmm. and it's really nice to look back and go yeah that's that's the feeling yeah so connecting all the way back to where we started this about how you want to feel feel. Mm -hmm. that those photos for me and I don't know about when you have your professional Mm -hmm. photos done it's the way of getting that feeling out it's almost that feeling in a picture yeah 
Yes. Yes. And 100%. And just letting people see you and moving your body in ways you don't always move your body. And my photographer kind of laughs because the first click of the first click of the shutter, there's like a change in my eyes and a change in my, it's like, I kind of come alive to this camera and have this almost relationship with this camera in this, in that moment that I think is important. And I, you know, I tell a lot of people, if you can afford to even do a professional photo shoot, just you, once in your life, do it because far too many women are hiding. Like if you look at the majority of family photos of me, I look like a disembodied head in the back, right? Because we're tall. I'm usually in the back. I'm usually positioned trying to hide myself. And it's just this little head perched on someone's shoulders. And when it's just you in front of the camera, there's no hiding. It's just, it's you. And it's all about you and it's all for you. And if you have a good photographer, they're going to make you feel amazing the entire time. And it's really been a very powerful thing and also something that's also shown me extra places where it's like, ooh, there's some work to do here. Like that really sets you off. You did not like that pose or you did not want to sit in that chair or it's, it tunes you into your body in a different way and into where you're at with your body. I would definitely, from my own experience as well, I would second that that just to I was gonna say feel into your body and also to see it with a set of fresh eyes to see it in a way that somebody else can see you yeah so when that photographer looks at you and knows that if you have this pose or you move in this way it sets you off to your best Mm -hmm. and then you're left with that image it's how others see you and I think that's a really important thing to hold as well because so often we're beating ourselves up for being us and yet what we forget to do is look at ourselves through the eyes of our friends and family who accept Mm -hmm. us exactly as we are 100% yes I mean at the end of the day right we're energy and we're putting an energetic vibe out into the world and we get so hung up on kind of like the the vessel the body but there's something about letting someone else capture your essence in a photo where you're like, ooh, I, I can see my energy in photos that other people take of me more so than I sometimes even feel it in the moment unless I'm really trying to. And I think that's that part of me that just comes alive is like, oh, let's put the energy out there. Let's show myself in a different way. Well, I will tell you, I just had some very, I had an experience recently that left me feeling really hopeful for the future. And I would love to tell you really quickly about it. I went and spoke to a group of middle and high school aged girls uh, recently about body image. And I went in with not a lot of expectations, but prepared to hear a lot of like what I heard growing up and a lot of just negative thoughts. And one of the things we did was I put up photos of different celebrities and asked them when, what does this celebrity make you think about your body? What's beautiful? What, what, what you might want or should look like. And I was expecting to hear a lot of different things. And, and I was prepared to not hear such great things. I put up people like Lizzo, the Kardashian Jenners, We talked about Cardi B. We talked about Zendaya. We talked about a whole bunch of Serena Williams, Billie Eilish, Almost every one of them, what these young women focused on was not the body. It was things like she, what I, what I learned from her is that it's never too late to do what you want in life. What I learned from her is it's okay to dress and do your hair the way you want to do. It it, it was really delightful and refreshing and a little disarming actually. Cause I was like, Oh, okay now. And it gave me so much hope. 
for where we're headed with the, with these younger generations um, because they did not show up and say the things that I would have said at their age. And I left with such a full heart over that. We got into their things, but but it was different. And I, I loved seeing that. I just, it, it's so vital that the younger generations don't pick up the bag of crap that we've put down. Right. Yes. <laughs> and I, it was delightful. It really was. Yeah. Definitely taking this opportunity as a, I was going to say group of women, because obviously both of us work yeah. with yeah. women to break these cycles and to move it on. Yeah. We knew that you and I would be able to talk. And <laughs> we've started from work and nervous system and body awareness and acceptance before we finish is there anything that you haven't said that you would like to leave people with yeah I mean I'll, I'll borrow from those girls I want people to know that it's never too late for you to do what you want with your life it is never too late for you to have a different relationship with yourself um a lot of times people don't start the work because it feels daunting and it feels like if I, if I start now I'm not going to finish I'll, it's too late anyway it's not um, I, I'm, I was not the person I am today, five years ago, or even three years ago, I wasn't this person even a year ago. And so what I would say is if there's anything you want to change about your life, your career, your relationship with yourself or your body, it takes one small step to get started. And a year from now, you will be amazed at the transformation guarantee hands down. I'm living for Love it. Love it. <laughs> Erin, we're going to drop all of your links, how people can connect with you and work with you into the show notes. Anything in particular that you have going on at the moment that you just want to highlight? Sure. Well, I'm taking some one-on-one -on -one clients right now. I have a few spots open for that. I am working um, and pulling together my next group program, which is actually going to be body image focused and helping women come back into to home, which is their, their own bodies. Uh, so look for that in the new year. And um, otherwise, just follow me on Instagram at Erin Meadows Coaching. Connect, say hello, and let me know how I can support you. Oh, I have loved this. I've me loved too. This. <laughs> and thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me for another Fear Soul Conversation. To find out more about me and my work, please see the links in the show notes. And of course, don't forget to like, share and subscribe. I look forward to you joining me next time.